0: Lord Jesus, we do just want to look to you this morning. We ask that you would speak to us even uh, in a fresh way, even as you were speaking to the church in Ephesus uh, when you first authored this letter. Lord, we pray that we would hear from you, each one of us. Lord, I think of the verse that says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God, I pray that we would have ears to hear this morning, what you would have for each one of us. Lord, help us to learn any lessons you have for us. God, I know you get got an agenda, a curriculum for each one of us as you disciple us. But please meet us here. Thank you that you are in our midst. Thank you that you are leading our church, even in two locations. We ask you to bless them down south this morning there as well. Bless us up here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's see here. Um, slide here. You know, just a quick review, um, if if you are new with us, or even if you're not, we're in a series here called First Love, and it's a series going through the seven letters in in Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3. There's seven letters written to the seven churches. ...that we're, we're talking about here. And so uh, we're kind of team teaching through this. Greg started off last week with um, actually the church listed as church number two here, Smyrna. And this morning we're going to be looking at Ephesus and the letter to that church. I think next week Greg will be right back here speaking about the church at, at Pergamos or, or Pergamum. And then I think Brad is going to take church number four... I'll have church five, I think Tim Cavanaugh will be teaching church number six, and then Greg will wrap up the series here, church number seven, Um, and that'll put us basically at the end of May. We've also planned on the calendar, uh, just in case you haven't heard, we're planning a barbecue at the end of May as well. So this series will take us through April and May, and then we're going to have a a barbecue in both locations here as we go, so I'm just... To be thinking about the schedule there. And we've also talked about, uh, we were talking about it in our pastors meeting this week, and, uh, you know, I think Brad asked the question, so uh, are we how long are we doing the two things? What are we doing for the summer? And then we were like, you know, if Brad's asking that question, other people are asking this question. But we are doing two locations for two months for sure. And then we said we'd kind of assess how that's going and then figure out our summer game plan. It's possible we could regroup for the summer in one location meeting here and then have a grand opening in the fall. We're just kind of taking it one week at a time there. So, um, I think our first week, Palm Sunday, we had about, you know, an average attendance between both locations, you know, put it together, it was our average. Easter Sunday, we had one of our highest attendances ever, um, and then last Sunday, we had a lower attendance, and so we're still about average as far as that goes. This morning, we'll see what, what this means for us in both locations here, but anyways, uh, enough of that, we'll go ahead and uh, jump into uh, Ephesus here, so if you have... Um, if you have a handout here, what I, what I have is just the verses. There are seven verses in this letter to the church in Ephesus. We're going to read all of them together here up front, and then we're just going to look at them one at a time here and try to extract some things that might relate to us this morning here. So um, if you have your handout, we can just read, read along here together. But um, to the angel of the church of Ephes- in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, um, we are going to just start kind of one verse at a time here. Let me get mine set up here. There we go. All right. So, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. You know, um, we're going to look at uh, different ways to apply this. Now, Greg might have hit on this last week. I know he read uh, chapter 1 as an intro to this series. And I'm just going to review a few things about this. But really, when it comes to these seven letters to the seven churches, there are several ways that they can be applied. And, and the first way they can be applied is... They can be applied literally to the seven churches that existed at that time. The seven churches that they were actually written to. To the angel of the church in Ephesus is really... Some would say uh, it's to the messenger, to the angel. Some would say that meant to the pastor. But the spirit of it is this was a letter from Jesus to that church. On things that he wanted to say to them specifically. And literally um, to the seven churches there. I think there's a map here again of the seven different locations. This is... uh, you know, modern-day Turkey is the area. I think it's called Asia back in the time there. But um, you can see, I think we've got another map here that shows, again, Ephesus. You can see where Athens and Corinth are. You can see Rome off there in the the boot heel thing of Italy as well. Jerusalem down in the corner there. So, this is the church in Ephesus that we're talking about. Um, that's literally where it is. Uh, some of you may have been to the ruins there in the city of Ephesus. Um, this is just one... Uh, Area that has um, it was known at the time. It was had one of the seven wonders of the world. They said at the time, but it was the temple of Artemis there. That these are some of the ruins of it. There's about four sets of columns there. Columns. I think back in the day, they, they said it had 127 sets of columns to this temple, and it was just a fascinating thing. It was destroyed and rebuilt a number of times, but it was part of their claim to fame. It was a large city of commerce. Um, you know, kind of a melting pot culturally, spiritually. Uh, let's see there. Here's another picture. Maybe some trivia questions about the, the church in, Ev- in Ephesus. Anyone want to play Bible trivia? Um, I'll give you all the change I have in my pocket here. All right, got some big coins there. Um, but uh, let's see. How many, years, uh, how many years was the Apostle Paul in the city of Ephesus? Anyone remember? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It starts with three fingers. Three. Right. Here's there three. Some of you might remember. Let's see some other things in Ephesus. Um, there was a large riot in the city of Ephesus back in the day that Paul was a part of. And they shouted for two hours. Anyone remember what they shouted for two hours? Great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine saying that for two hours? I cannot imagine that. But uh, it is believed it was in the theater just like this that holds, um, no one would probably know how many people this holds, but 25,000 people could sit in this outdoor theater there. But uh, that's where this riot, eventually they they kind of calmed it down and uh, got Paul out of there and, and things like that. But um, there are some things in Ephesus... Uh, so, you know, some other ways to take these letters here are symbolically. There are some that would say that letters to the church is applied to seven different periods of church history, each church representing a time period. Uh, many Bible scholars and, and church historians would say these seem to be accurate about those uh, different periods in history, which would mean that the last church there in Laodicea Laodicea, would be related to our time in history And some of the things specifically about that church might apply to the culture and the the world that we live in today. And so, you know, we'll take particular interest when we look at that one. But that's another way to look at it. Seven phases of church history here. Seven periods. Um, The last way to look at it is that um, these letters can be taken practically in the lives of you and I. Every one of the letters has this statement at the bottom of the letter. And it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Translation, I think Jesus is saying, hey, any of you who read these letters, if you're listening or listen to what the Spirit might have to say to you from these letters to the churches, and and really that's one of the the heart of this series is to figure out how can we apply these to our lives and our church. And so, um, uh, you know, we'll keep on reading here just a verse at a time. You know, it says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands and... You know, uh, sometimes the book of Revelation, you know, we could teach through the whole ser- the whole 22 chapters sometime. We're not going to. We're just going to take two right now. But sometimes it can get complicated and you could read something like this. The seven stars and the seven golden lampstands and then people who are of great imaginations or look at conspiracy websites or things like that. You all of a sudden come up with the seven stars means like the seven leaders in Europe and then the, the lampstands are the part of the New World Order lampstands. You've heard of those and you know I'm just joking, it's not true, but you can get, it can get, you know, you can get carried away, it can get confusing, and just real quickly wanted to fly through some general principles for understanding the scriptures, you know, um, hermeneutics would be the more uh, technical term here, but um, a couple things you can do, even in the book of Revelations, you can read the context, what does the surrounding context say, if I want to get clarity you can let Scripture define Scripture. Sometimes we get crazy and we go, well, here's this phrase in the Bible. What does Wikipedia have to say about it? Well, you know what? Wikipedia doesn't have a clue about what was intended by this letter to those churches at that time because Wikipedia wasn't around then. Um, we let the Scripture define the Scripture. You have to be careful who's defining words for you because if they are not people who understand the Scriptures in the New Testament, you're probably going to end up with some crazy understandings of Scriptures and of Revelations. You can often look at the first occurrence of something occurred. And I think of tongues in the New Testament. The first time tongues occurred was uh, in Acts when they're preaching the gospel. And the way it played out was that people from all different languages understood these apostles who were speaking in their language. In a language they had never heard before. It wasn't like a bunch of gibberish that nobody understood. Some people from different places were like, I, I'm a different language than you, and I understand totally what you're saying. And I understand, and there were a number of people that understood that tongues, in its first instance, meant languages, where people were hearing in different languages, even though it was these, you know, these disciples speaking with, with the tongue that they had. And so um, the Holy Spirit helped provide that. Let's look at the first occurrence. Look at other more clear passages about a subject. Lastly, you can understand a passage... By how it fits in the context of the whole Bible. It's been said that the Bible is like a living organism. And when you take a part and you cut it out of context, you leave the rest of it damaged and bleeding. And sometimes when people go to understand scriptures, that's exactly what they do. They'll take something out of context. Seems good here. And the rest, the whole rest of the Bible is left uh, in bad condition. And so we we have to understand that. Now, specifically in this situation, it kind of works out in that... um, you know, Paul, when he was, uh, uh, I mean, John, when he was writing this here, he actually, two verses before this verse here about the seven stars, uh, so let me scoot along here. He says this, two verses before this, he says, uh, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, are the seven churches. And Jesus just right here has this whole thing defined. Hey, by the way, the, the seven stars, that relates to the church, the messenger, something related to, to this church. And he says, I hold them in my hand. Um, the seven lampstands are the, represent the churches themselves. And he says, I walk among them. You know, I think some of the just practicals we can extract from that are Jesus holds this church in his hand just as he held those seven Jesus walks among those churches he, he walks among this church and you know there's not a lot there's not instruction there there's not things that it says and now by the way go make a book about seven stars or seven lampstands but just by the way he said I, I dwell among these seven lampstands and I hold them in my hands and and he holds this church in his hands and so um we're just going to keep on moving here each letter has kind of a certain format to it. There's the to, the who, you know, who it's to, and then from. Each has a facet about Jesus, and, and evidently, you know, the facet that he revealed, in, in many ways, for some reason, they needed to hear that in that church. And, and then each letter has a section where Jesus kind of has this part where he says, I know. Oh, I know. I know your church. I know your church. I know your lives. And each section, it kind of has the key words there. I know. He has an insight that he gives to each of the churches. Ephesus, he wrote this. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships in my name. You have not grown weary. Um... And so just a few kind of things to draw out of that. I know your deeds. You know, that has some pros and cons, guys. Um, God knows. uh, He knows your deeds. He knows my deeds. He knows us as a whole. And, you know, first point I would just make is that God knows all the good. He knows all the good that's going on in the life of this church. He knows all the good that's going on in your life. And, uh, you know, an action step to that would be, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to keep up the good. Keep up the hard work. There's a lot of hard work that's been going on here. Perseverance, uh, doctrinal soundness, all a lot of good things. You know, even in the launching two locations, one of the things we've been most encouraged by as pastors is that how many people have stepped into roles of serving who were not previously serving. People have stepped up. And, you know, I think Jesus would want you to know... Uh, I notice, I notice your deeds, I see what's going on that others might not see. And he notices and he will reward for that. And there's a real good side to that. Unfortunately, there's a not as good side to that as well, that he knows all our deeds. And uh, he knows all that is not good in this church. And he knows all that is not good in our lives, and yours and mine. And there's kind of a a fear of the Lord thing there. One is like, hey, he he notices, he's going to reward us, he loves us. And on the other side, he notices it all, guys. And uh, and he's going to address that as well, just like he did there. He encouraged the church of Ephesus. And then he went on to say, um, yet I hold this against you. A really big yet, you know, just um, something to think about before we get into this next verse here. But God blesses all the good in our lives, yet... It's a little tiny word, yet. Yet he rebukes and disciplines us to help remove sin from our lives. That little bitty word, yet, is a a really big little word. Um, And before we go on to what he was speaking to the church in Ephesus, I would just encourage you with this. Um, You know, Jesus knows your life. He knows everything about it. Things that others know and things that others do not know. And anything good, again, he would notice that. And it's possible that for each one of us, he would have a yet, 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 I know something. And um, I think sometimes we can live in this world, like we know when it comes to going to heaven, that it's not like a scale, that it's a balance of good and evil. And, you know, sometimes if someone's like, well, you know, in the end, for God, uh, my good and my evil will balance out, right? And none of us thinks that's how you get to heaven. And if you do, you know, I'd love to talk with you more about Jesus and how he, he, uh, died for our sins because the, the balance would never work out in our favor. But sometimes in the Christian life, we can think, you know, the way you live the Christian life is you've got the good and you focus on the good and, you know, just kind of stay away from the bad. Uh, in the professional world, you know, kind of vocational world, a lot of times they would tell you just that. Operate in your strengths and stay away from your weaknesses. Let somebody else do that. You just operate in your strengths. And that may work in the world of, you know, different businesses and things like that. But when it comes to the world of your, your life and your character, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, the good things, awesome. Keep them up. I probably helped you do them in the first place. Don't forget to thank me about them. Um, but the things that are not so good, um, as a matter of fact, yet, I really do want to engage with you on that. And he's talking to Ephesus, all these good things going on, amazing things going on. And yet, he had something really big. And before we go on here, I just want to encourage you to stop. When it comes to this, Jesus knows your life and mine. And we can either volunteer the yet and say, Lord, I know. You know, I know. Let's, you know, let's work on this. Help me on this. Or we can kind of just pretend they don't exist and pretend the good is going to outweigh the bad. And, you know, he'll get to the yet and he'll bring that up, and he'll bring someone in your life to talk to you about it. He'll, he'll do things. And so my, my only encouragement would be, if you've gotten a yet, if you know it already, humble yourself about it, because otherwise God will humble you. And, and that's not as fun. Yeah, it's not fun really either way. But uh, if you can volunteer it before he brings it to your attention, it, it usually goes better that way. Um, I mean, I've heard that it goes better that way. I don't know. Um, but no, just joking. Plenty of yets in my world as well. But uh, anyways... Now, with the Ephesians, he had a very specific yet. He said, all this great stuff going on, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. So many good things going on. If you and I had visited the church in Ephesus, they would be working hard. They were doctrinally sound. They weren't allowing bad doctrine. They were making sure, hey, I, you kind of mentioned that verse out of context, you know. They were sharp on doctrine. And they were persevering. And there was persecution for what they believed there. Yet, they had lost their first love. And, and we're going to talk about that. I don't know what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about losing your first love anyone, um, I'll tell you what comes to my mind, um, and it's not very spiritual, it's not, uh, you know the old song, any of you heard, you lost that love and feeling, um, that's what I think of, for better or for worse, I think of that, um, you might know the words, it uh, starts off, uh, you never close your eyes anymore, oh yeah, yeah, okay, it's better than better than Tom Cruise, did it? yeah, that's a... I watched a clip of that, and man, he did not do that well. But everyone knows, if years ago there was an old movie called Top Gun. Anyone remember that? Okay. Um, some of you might even remember before that, uh, the Righteous Brothers. Don't raise your hands if you remember the Righteous Brothers or ever saw them in concert or anything like that. Um, they, they sing a better version than Tom Cruise did there. But, um, you know, they d- just talk about, hey, you used to have this loving feeling and, and now, you know, uh, you lost that loving feeling. And it's kind of a fun joke. And anytime I've taught on this passage, I start singing this around the house you lost that love and feeling. You know, I'm chasing my wife around singing this. And she's kind of like, yeah, not encouraging. You know, that's not, a, that's not actually a good song to sing to someone you love. And, you know, I, I get that. But it's a fun song to sing, you know. These guys, you never close. You know, just try it. Sometimes it's just fun. Um, but anyways, that, you know, when Jesus shared this, you know, he probably wasn't sharing it tongue-in-cheek with the church in Ephesus. There was some probably some things on his heart you know, we've called the series First Love, Catching God's Heart for You. And I think there's some, you know, what's the big deal, kind of is what I can ask. Um, what's the big deal about this? Okay, so they weren't as lovey-dovey as they used to be. I mean, really? Is that, is that a big deal? Um, well, you know, the answer is yes. Um, that is kind of a big deal. And let's scoot my notes along here as well. I'm trying to do electronic notes this morning. Here we go. Get you up here. Love and feeling. All right, here we go. All right. So what's the big deal? We're going to look at a few verses quickly on what, you know, maybe you can catch God's heart for why this might have been a big deal. Anyone remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What was his answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and, you know, Mark adds in all your strength there. Um, that's the first and the greatest commandment, Jesus. Said. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus, when asked, he basically said, hey, the biggest deal here is loving God with all your heart. And then the second biggest deal is loving your neighbor. Everything else hangs off of that. Kind of an important deal. Some of you might know the love chapter. Anyone ever been to a wedding where they use the love chapter? 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Love is patient. Love is kind. Um, But, you know, at the end of that chapter, it says, hey, there's faith and hope and love. But the greatest of these is is love. And the chapter at the time, it's contrasting spiritual gifts, different ways the Holy Spirit of God expresses himself through us. And it says, by the way, if you're missing love, you're missing everything. And you may speak articulately in the tongues of angels, and if you're missing love, it's going to be a resounding gong. And you may have faith that moves a mountain, you may have knowledge and insight into things, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. And you may give generously, you may even give your body to be burned as an offering, you know, to sacrifice for your Savior, and without love, you won't gain anything from it. The greatest of all this is love, you know, it's kind of a big deal with God. Uh, another place here it ends. Uh, the next chapter begins. I think in the New Living or Living Bible that paraphrases it like this: "Let love be your greatest aim. Let love be your greatest aim." Uh, another place God reveals this uh, to us about Himself: God is love. You know, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Genesis one says that God created us in His image. To be able to have loving relationship with Him. He created us unique from any other creature in creation. Giving us a heart and a mind and a soul. The choice to love Him or not. Um, he created us for loving relationship. Uh, Exodus 34, 14. The New Living. I love this. Uh, it's a New Living translation. First edition. The second edition has changed. Um, And, uh, but this says about God, sometimes it says God is a jealous lover, a jealous God, but the heart of it is this, God is passionate about his relationship with you and with me. And, uh, we need to know that he's, he's not pathetic about, oh, you don't, you don't care, you want to wander off, you want to love someone, fine, who cares? That is not what you see in the scriptures. God is passionate about his relationship with you. And he's got feelings about whether we are responding to his love or not. Um, keep going here. Jeremiah has this verse. This is kind of, you know, it turns the corner again from fun tongue-in-cheek to, you know, this is a little more serious. Often in the Old Testament, God referred to his people as his bride. It was like this in Jeremiah. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert. And he goes through and kind of talks about some changes in their attitude. By chapter 3 of Jeremiah, he says, and now you're like a prostitute. You started off, you had the love of a young bride and now you've turned away and turned more to like a prostitute and Ezekiel has some even more strong language of God sharing hey guys this is what it's like to me when you don't respond to my passionate uh, exclusive love for you it, it, this is what it feels like to me this is what you are like to me uh, He gives examples and you know the New Testament uses some similar language here James chapter 4 um, you know, he says you're, you're like an unfaithful wife. Uh, some say you're an adulterer and speaking to New Testament Christians. And uh, this in, in the message translation just says, um, he's talking to this group of believers. You're, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And you suppose God doesn't care. The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is so far better than anything else you'll find. Uh, it's common knowledge that God goes against the willful, proud, and God gives grace to the willing, humble. And this is how God feels about a loving relationship with you and I. It's a big deal. Again, imagine visioning that church there was so much good activity going on, but when Jesus looked at it, he said, "Hey guys, you're, you're kind of like a bride who's lost her love for her groom. He's the groom. We are the bride, but he's basically saying a lot of good things going on in your church, and yet, where's the love? Uh, one translation says, you you do not love me and others like you did at first. And, you know, there's different degrees. Now, each one of us might not be having that same struggle or, or the same place with this you know, these words of you forsaken your first love, but I want to get us to, to look at some things here. You know, um, again, imagine a, a marriage. You know, I think sometimes the, the church in Ephesus might have been like a marriage. We've done a series in the past called Roommates, cellmates, Soulmates. You know, some marriages, it's like roommates. You're just kind of coexisting and paying bills together and things like that. Some, it's worse than that. It's kind of like you're in this relationship, and you know that it'd be wrong to get out, and so you stick it out, and it's more like a cellmate. And, and God's desire for every marriage is to be soulmates that reflect his love between two people. And, um, but the church in Ephesus was kind of, kind of, I think, doctrinally, they probably knew divorce is not good. Divorce is, you know, the Bible says God hates divorce, and I think it's because it doesn't reflect his love. He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. And and when people do that to one another, it it breaks hearts. It, it destroys lives. And you know, um, I I've personally experienced it. My parents, after thirty four years, five kids, they got divorced, and it was hard. And it was heartbreaking. And um, but God, you know, see, He would never do that to you or to me. And, and we've got to catch. That's why it's a big deal. But. Church in Ephesus, they were, they were, doctrinally, they probably knew divorce is wrong, so we're going to tough this out. We're going to be working hard. Doctrinally, we just can't go there, but we're going to do the rest of what we do without the heart. You know, marriage is not just designed to not be divorced. It's designed to be a loving situation, Um, and, and their church was like, some would call them the loveless bride. Other times, you know, it can be like, I think of uh, Luke here. The story of the prodigal son. The son wandered off. He, he wastes all his money on wild living and stuff. And he comes back wholeheartedly. He's like, Father, I've done wrong. The father accepts him back. But then there's like his, his brothers there. And been there the whole time. But his attitude can kind of be like maybe what it was in Ephesus. Maybe what it can be like in your heart or mine. He said at one point, Father, why are you doing all this celebrating? I've been here the whole time. I've never once disobeyed your orders. And you haven't given me anything. You know, is that the the heart of your relationship with God? God, I just don't want to disobey your orders. I just want to stick it out, tough it out. I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, the church in Ephesus had a lot of things they did not do. They were not tolerating things. They were not tolerating the Nicolaitans. They were not tolerating false prophets. They were not giving up. They were not... um, you know, I don't know what else was a nod in there, but you know, can you imagine having a relationship, a marriage relationship where you're with your spouse and you just kind of took this list of things that your spouse hated and, and that was life. That described your marriage. You get to the end of your marriage and you're like, boy, honey, you did a great job not doing anything that I didn't hate. You know, I hated this, I hated that. You avoided everything I hated. I sure wished you would have loved me. I sure wish you would have done things for me, but at least you avoided what I hated. You know, that's God's heart for us, his relationship for us is much bigger than not doing what he doesn't want us to do. Sure, there's things that we should avoid that he does hate, um, and yet that is only one part of the relationship, and we've got to catch this. God is passionate about having a relationship with you and I, uh, a loving, uh, a willing relationship, not going through the motions. I think of that song, some of you have heard on the radio, I don't want to go through the motions, I don't want to waste one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. But, you know, God wants that type of relation. He doesn't want your motions. He doesn't want you always choosing not to do wrong. Instead of choosing to do things because you love Him. Whether you're avoiding things or doing things for Him. He wants us doing it from the heart. Not just going through the motions. Now, here's a list of things here. Um, you know, uh, let's see. I was going to have them do one at a time. But we will do them all together here. Um, just, uh, you know, this might show up in your small groups this week. Questions we're going to look at on, um, on where are you at. You know, maybe... maybe you know, there's different degrees of this. Um, maybe you're at a place where you're just coming to know the love of Christ and you're falling in love with Jesus for the first time. Maybe that describes you. Maybe you have a fresh relationship with the Lord. When you get in the Word and when you pray, there's just this real and a fresh relationship there. Maybe there's a fervency there, just an intense, zealous desire to please your Savior. Maybe what you do, you do freely, voluntarily, not because you have to, but because you want to. Maybe you've grown familiar with the Lord. Maybe you've had a relationship, been a Christian for a number of years and you're real familiar with Jesus and His grace and it's like a real familiar relationship where you've kind of been there, done that, still in that. Um, maybe you've gotten to a place where you're forcing things. You're living by the rules and you want to make sure everyone else is living by the rules and, and that's your MO, your relationships based on rules and making sure others are doing the rules. Not real fun, kind of doing your duty. You know, again, I think of that in marriage. You know, it's like uh, uh, I try to take my wife on dates and things like that. But I imagine we go to a nice restaurant and we have this nice meal before us. And my wife's just like, oh, thanks for carving out this time for us to get time alone. And, and I say, you know, honey, I'm just doing my duty. Um, it's every Monday night, first day of the week, you and me, you're the first things first here and doing my duty. Don't mention it, you know. Um, uh, that would not go very well. That would not go. That did not go very well. No, I'm just doing that. Um. But God doesn't want you just doing your duty, just as that wouldn't work in a marriage very well. Jesus doesn't want you to just. say, I'm, I'm doing my duty, I'm dotting my I's, crossing my T's. He wants your heart. He wants to meet you in this not forced relationship. Maybe you're, you're faking it. Maybe you appear to kind of like, I like church, I like the Bible, I can quote a verse every now and again. And in your heart, uh, you're not, love's not going very well there. You measure your love for Jesus and for others and you go, it's kind of crusty and kind of cold in there. Jesus said, in the end times, the love of most will grow cold. You guys, it's it's coming. He said, this is how it's going to be. He wasn't even saying the lost world. He was speaking to believers. The love of most will grow cold in the end. Is it growing cold in your heart? Towards him, towards others. Sometimes we can be flippant to be like, ah, I know God loves me. And if he didn't love me, that'd be too bad for him. You know, we can be a little bit arrogant about it. Sometimes we can be fearful. I just, I'm afraid he's going to stop loving me. Oh, you know, I don't deserve this. And. None of those are the type of relationship God wants with you. You know, and this idea of forsaking your first love, it's different than even just forgetting. It's not like, oh, I forgot my first love. Um, It's forsaking, it kind of has a choice. Forgetting, you know, you can lose something. I forgot where I put it, Uh, but uh, you don't know where it is. It happened accidentally. But forsaking is not, that's something that a choice has been made to turn from something. It's not just accidental. You actually know where to find it and might choose not to. That's what he was saying to the Ephesians here. Really strong words. Sometimes we can flirt with the world. Jesus, I love you and and I don't mind all the other things here that that you hate. I kind of have a flirtatious relationship with this world. He doesn't want that for us. And so there's different things to think about. Where are you at? I don't know where you are, but Jesus has an interest. Where are you at when it comes to your first love of Jesus Christ? We each have to answer that and adjust accordingly. Um, you know, and Jesus gave some instructions here. He said, you've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And so he gives us a list of things here. Um, and sometimes people can joke about like, okay, well, there's three points. How did you get three points out of that verse? Well, because Jesus gave three things to think about here. Three things to do. Three steps to rekindle your first love. This was to the church in Ephesus. This is to anyone who has ears to hear today. First one is this: Remember, remember the height from which you have fallen. You know, call the highlights to mind. Think about it. if you've ever had that first love. What was it like? In some ways, I think it's kind of looking where where it was at and where it is now. If you're, uh, you know, one of those people that likes mathematics or something or, or uh, different equations, it's kind of a delta. The delta of where it was and where it is. Where, what's your delta love like? It uh, started off here and now it's here. And what's the difference in between? And, and Jesus is concerned about the fact that there's ever a difference from your first love to where you are now. But call the good times to mind. Uh, remember those. And then he says, repent, which is a change of mind, a change of heart. Hey, you see where you were. You see where you are. Now you ought to kind of change your mind about that. Change your heart about that. Um, And then lastly, he says, um, do the things you did at first. Repeat those things. But it's not just a, sometimes we can get into the, you know, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers. But Jesus is saying, hey, do. Do those things you did at first. And have the right heart when you do them. And have, uh, have it be a thoughtful thing, not a mindless thing. Call to mind those good things. Have your heart be in it. And then do what you did at first. Don't go through the motions, you know. And um, I think about, you know, two ways to apply this. One, these words here that Jesus gave to renew a first love, I've actually seen these words in marriage conferences before. As a matter of fact, my father-in-law, is a pastor out in Omaha. He once did a marriage conference series. I think he taught at Faith Walkers last year on marriage. But he took this conference out to one of our churches in Miami. Several hundred couples went to this church. I was to to the conference he and his wife put on. Um, And I talked to him, he's like, you know, it was a great conference, they really responded well, and I was talking to him about it, I'm going you know, uh, we could probably use a tune-up in our marriage right now. What if, uh, and we started talking, he's like, well, what if we came out to Colorado and did the marriage conference for you, just you and Morgan? And it's like, sure, sounds great, you know, and get uh, Nana and Papa out here, and we get to get the marriage conference. And so he kind of walked us through some things, and and it was real timely. I think God just used it to bless our relationship. But one of the exercises he had us do is to sit down and write a letter. And write a letter, what were the things that first drew you? to your wife, or to your spouse. And uh, what are those things, those strengths going on in their life right now? And then the second part of it was, and what do you need to seek forgiveness for? What have you grown crusty in? What, have you need, what do you need to repent of? And so we're writing out these letters, and then he had us read them to one another. And I just remember just being in tears, just going, I could not hardly finish one sentence after the other, going and I love this about you and I love this about you and I'm so sorry I treated you like this and I grew crusty about you know this attitude here and um you know by the time we were done there was a, a renewing of my heart that had occurred and it was um you know it was, it was a really good thing for our marriage and I don't know what your thing is maybe God actually wants you to work on your marriage here but um I know for sure he wants to work on his relationship with you and he wants you to sit down and go like what was what was it first like and uh what what do I need to change? And what do I need to get back to doing? And you know, all this assumes you've had a first love, guys. And if you haven't had a first love, we're going to close with that. But um, this assumes that you have. And get back to those things. A lot of times, um, you know, when you think of things you might have done at first. Um, well, let's see if I can scoot this slide here. Sorry. Um, you know, there's... Uh, I just think about, again, if you put it in the marriage world, um, again, these can apply both to a a marriage relationship, romantic relationship, and also to our relationship with our Savior here. But, um, you know, um, I, I think spending time together, you know, boy, when you're first falling in love... I think you just, you don't have to schedule spending time together. You usually have to schedule not spending time together. Like, oh yeah, I have a job I've got to get back to. And I've got to go to classes or whatever it is. You know, there's a, spending time together comes naturally. When it comes to, um, uh, you know, just, I think about telling others about a relationship. When you first fall in love, I just remember you couldn't shut me up talking about this girl that I was going to be marrying, that I was dating, and I just kept talking and talking, and uh, I in some ways didn't care what other people thought, but in other ways, you know, I thought they at least should know what's going on here, what's on my heart, and I shared, you know, shamelessly, and uh, I was glad to share with others about my, my love of my wife-to-be. And, but, you know, when you put that into your relationship with Christ, you know, I remember a lot of the same things. When it came to spending time with God and His Word, I just remember, I was reading the Word all the time, I was memorizing, we do this memory madness, we didn't have memory madness back then, we, uh, we just memorize, I remember one point I just knew it would be good, I started memorizing Proverbs, got up to chapter 9 in Proverbs, just because I thought it would be good to get to know God better and apply His Word to my life, Memorized a whole bunch, topical memory system, all that, and because someone forced me to no because i wanted to because i wanted to grow and prayer i remember praying all the time a number of different times we did 40 days of prayer we would pray for for an hour for 40 days in a row uh, i remember one group i was in just a, a bunch of guys we just did that and we decided we wanted to pray on our knees 40 days uh, and you know it's just kind of is a different world it's like living upside down for a you know it's just like uh my knees got calluses on them and, and i did it not no one told me i had to Uh, It was not a part of anything I did it because I I wanted to worship God and pray that way and I was so blessed for that and um, It was I remember one time I went on a business trip I was out meeting with NASA in Washington DC and they had the prayer meeting that night and I got on the hotel phone We didn't have cell phones back then and uh, you know, I I called in to catch the prayer meeting I didn't want to miss it and you know, again, fellowship. It's like I just couldn't get enough fellowship. Sometimes we're, like, oh, I got to go to small group again. I got to do, oh, do my Wednesdays, do my Sundays. Um, do, isn't fellowship supposed to be sweet? You know that that I remember sweet fellowship along the way, and I hope it's still sweet to you. You know, um, or telling others about Jesus. You know, there was times I was, uh, I was fearless when it came to telling people about Jesus. I was telling anyone. I was like. Can you believe he would forgive all your sins and give you a new life? I just, I just, it was such a novel concept and I was just sharing all over the place. But, you know, I don't know what your world was like. That was my world. And so I have to go, well, that was my world. And what's it like now? And what adjustments do I need to make? And there's more adjustments there than I I would have planned going into this message. But um, what's your world like? You know, do you have that first love? Have you ever had that first love? Are there some things Jesus would want you to do again? I don't know things that you did to show your love to him in the past. He goes on to say, you know, if you do not repent, I'll come and remove um, your lampstand from its place. And really, you know, he's talking about, hey, uh, if you guys don't have a change here in your church, your church will not exist any longer. Your church will go away. And that's the, the essence of what he is saying. he goes on to say, and you know, you hate the deeds of these guys too. I hate them, but you know, it's more than just what we hate. It's what we love and who we love. And he goes on to say, you know, to him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And it's just a promise for, you know, First uh, John 5 talks about anyone who believes in Jesus overcomes. They overcome the world because you believe Jesus is the Christ. And there's a promise of eternal life and relationship with God in heaven forever. Um, but, you know, just uh, before to close here, we just want to talk about have you ever had that first love of Jesus? And, Um, have you really in some ways it relates to have you ever said i do to jesus as your lord and your savior i love this verse here first john 419 we love because he first loved us have you ever come to know what he did because he loved you and have you responded to that and, and given your your love in response to that and and through faith invited him into your life and begun that relationship um you know, just a few things to think about. I love one of my favorite ways of sharing the gospel, and we'll just close with this: is I love sharing the gospel at weddings, and, and just thinking of different milestones that every love story has. And we talk about the the pursuit stories, so where these two people met somewhere, some way. Each story is unique, and but eventually there was this pursuing relationship with one another, and often that pursuit led to to led to a proposal, where someone goes, you know, the guy goes, I want to have this relationship with you exclusively for the rest of my life and uh, that pursuit leads to a proposal and then eventually the proposal puts the ball in the girl's court and the girl has gotten proposed to and and she has options you know she can say she can start laughing and be like are you serious you know or she can be like yes you know i've been thinking the same thing or you know she could say I, I, it sounds too good to be true i just i don't know if i want to do this or whatever it is but based on the response of someone who's been proposed to, uh, well, things either happen or they don't happen. And in the case of a wedding, usually you're at a wedding ceremony because someone has responded well to the proposal. Someone has said yes. or uh, Like my wife was like, yes, yes, yes. You know, it was just... No, I'm just joking. She didn't say that. She, I think she said, I'll think about it. Or No. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so these are the milestones in, in a wedding story. But, you know, these are milestones that are true in a relationship with God. God has pursued you and I as a matter of fact as a part of the pursuit he created you in the first place so that he could pursue you unfortunately in the pursuit we've decided to along the way to be sinful and rebellious and kind of uh not respond well to his love and initiating with us and we've sinned against him each one of us you know his his uh, love story and pursuit has um someone who's sinned against him and that's not the case in every other love story there but his proposal eventually you know uh, in a, a human relationships proposals can tend to be romantic. You know, you you get that perfect dinner or you take it to that memorable spot and, and you take a knee and you pull out a ring and um, it can be this very romantic thing. But in God's pursuit of us it led him not to, to take a knee and, and offer a precious ring. He he took the cross. He took the cross that you know in Hebrew was Golgotha, in Latin as Calvary. Uh, English was he took a cross on the place called the Skull. And he was punished for your sin and mine. And his part of the love story was, while we were still sinners, Romans 5.8 says, Christ died for us. And, and that's a different sort of proposal than anyone else can relate to. And, and then yet he puts the response in your court and mine. He says, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you for the rest of your life. What do you say to that? And this verse here, John 3.36 says, Well, to those who believe they have eternal life, and those who reject the Son... They have no life in them. His wrath remains on them. And really there's two responses to God's love. And, and his love shown through Jesus Christ. And that's saying, I do. I do believe you died for me. I do invite you into my life as my Lord and Savior. Or there's any other response. Any other response is going to not end. The Bible talks about a wedding celebration that is to come. Really it's what eternity begins on a wedding celebration. And... Everyone's invited to that, but it's really only fitting to be there if you've said yes to Jesus Christ. The, the Father is throwing a huge wedding celebration for Jesus, the groom. Those who belong to Him, those who respond are His bride, and you can be a part of that. And, and our hope is that every one of you would want to be a part of that. But if, if you've never responded from your heart to God's, um, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to just tell Him, you know, I believe You died for me, and uh, I invite You into my life as my Lord and Savior. And... and Help me to love you and be faithful to you for the rest of my life. And really, you might even go public and get baptized at that point, telling people that you've invited Christ into your life. But our hope is that everyone here would have responded to the love of Jesus Christ. And so then you can begin that first love. And even if you have, have responded, and maybe it's just time to remember his love again and start responding and, and showing him, learning what speaks love to God. And, uh, you know, I think, I know God has a, a reason that we're going through this letter. And I think he has an action step for each one of us here. And I hope that you would apply what God would have for you here. But I'm going to go ahead and pray here to close the time. And we will uh, call, it a, call it a day. Well, Lord Jesus, we do um, we do just thank you for this morning. We just thank you that um, you have pursued a relationship with us. Lord, it's just amazing to think you even created us so that we could be in pursuit uh, of your that you'd be pursued by you. Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us to, to remember the heights of which we have had with you and, and help us, Lord, to have a change of heart anywhere there's sin, there's hardness of heart, there's um, not a sensitivity, a tender heart that we used to have. Uh, help us, Lord, change in any way you want, any way that would please you. God, I pray you'd make us a church that is full of uh, good deeds and full of first love. God, that we would not be a loveless church, a doctrinally sound but lacking love church. Lord, help us, Lord, and help each one of us. Lord, help me, help each of us uh, respond to you in whatever rebuke or correction or encouragement you have to us this morning. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.